God. Oh, look, if you know you serve a mighty God, you ought to, you ought, your praise ought to match that statement. We serve a what? Mighty God. Somebody shout mighty. But there's nobody that can do things like our God can do them. But he's what? Almighty. Give God a haircut for praise. I got a question for y'all. Ask you every every Sunday, is there anybody excited for the word of God this morning? Amen. Praise God. I got a word. This week, this week we are embarking on a new series called Everything Kingdom. Everybody shout Everything Kingdom. Oh, go ahead and say it like you mean to say Everything Kingdom. Amen. Praise God. So in this series, series, we're about to look at what does it mean to be a kingdom citizen? What does it mean to have a, have a king in your life? What does it mean to walk in the authority as a kingdom citizen? Because I think sometimes we talk about we use this word kingdom so sparingly, but we don't always have the experience that lives up to what a kingdom citizen has. So this month, for the month of March, we're going to talk about lordship. We're going to talk about kingdom citizenship. We're going to talk about kingdom expansion. We're going to talk about the kingdom experience because we want our experiences to match up with the God of the Bible. We want our experiences, the things that I go through every day, the way that I encounter God to match up with who? The God of the Bible. And so we're going to go into it. And so today we want to talk about lordship. Somebody shout lordship. Let's go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. A very, 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 very um, familiar passage of scripture. Romans chapter 10. And we're going to look at verse 9. As you turn in there, y'all know how we do it. If you're willing and you're able, and you're not just too mean and too rude, Lift up on your feet just out of honor and respect for what God is getting ready to say to us. Romans chapter 10, one verse, verse 9, and we're going to deal with it. When you get there, you'll find these words. That if thou shalt, what, confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be what? Somebody shout saved. Thou, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord who? Oh, y'all, say that name loud. The Lord who? Jesus. That's it. And shall believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be Amen. Praise God. I think I got an amen corner. Father God, I thank you for this day, God. Thank you for this opportunity to um, to um, preach your word, to teach your word. And Father, in this moment, pour out your Holy Spirit afresh upon us, God, that I may preach with power and authority, God, that your word may go forth and it may prick our hearts, Father, not just to get us emotionally stirred, but Father, I pray now that your word gets us spiritually stirred, that God, that we respond through repentance, God, that we respond in a commitment to you in the mighty name of Jesus we pray and everybody said amen. amen on your way down look to your neighbor and say neighbor you forgot a spot that's all right look to your other neighbor and say neighbor you forgot a spot amen praise God I want to attack that text with this thought you forgot a spot growing up washing dishes wasn't always my favorite chore to do for a, very, for a few reasons. One, 
People will always wait until you start washing dishes to want something to eat and drink. Every time you, you go in there to wash dishes, here, here comes somebody, let, let me get one more cup. They get a cup, they get you something to drink, they get some Kool-Aid, and they drink it, and then they put it back, back on top of the other dishes need to be washed. You wait till, they wait till you start eating, until uh, you start washing dishes to want some noodles to put in the microwave. I'm like, y'all could y'all could wait. Then, not only that, people wait till you get ready to, uh, to want something to eat and drink, but then sometimes when you're washing dishes, you got to touch that, that soggy residue in the bottom of the sink from food. Y'all know what that is? That just, I just can't stand there. I can't stand it. There's two reasons why I don't like washing dishes. I thank God for a dishwasher. Amen. Praise God. I bless him for a dishwasher. Amen. Mother said, I'm blessed. I'm blessed and highly favored. Amen. Praise God. But every so often when I would wash dishes, I would get in a rush and somebody would throw a dish back at me and say, you missed a spot. Every so often they'll throw a dish back and say, oh, you forgot a spot. And sure enough, when I looked in that doggone cup and I looked at that doggone plate, there was still some residue left on that dish. And even though I had thought I had fully cleaned that plate, there was something I had overlooked that my inattentiveness kept the cup from being moved to the next step in the process. That my inattentiveness kept the cup ultimately from being used by somebody else. And I need to tell somebody this morning that God is bringing us back to the drawing board because some of us are like this dish. We have missed a spot in our commitment to God. That there are some spots in our lives that we have overlooked Submitting to Jesus as the Lord of. That we have the confession, but we lack the commitment that's partnered with the confession. We talked about in Sunday school this morning that it's one thing to get baptized. It's one thing to go into the water, but then it's another thing to apply the works. Because the power is not in the what? Water, but it's in the what? Works. So we have a confession, but we lack commitment. With our words, with our words, we declare that Jesus is the Lord of my life. He's the Lord of our lives. But with our actions and our attitudes towards certain things um, we, we think we speak, they speak otherwise. Isaiah 29 and 13, the Lord says, the prophet says, he says, They worship me with their lips, but their hearts are what far from me. And what, what, what we have is what I like to call selective submission. We have selective submission. Hear me out. We are submitted to God in certain things, but it's just not in everything. And I need to tell somebody, God says to us today that he doesn't just want part of you. Oh, y'all, y'all, he, he wants what? All of you. He don't want just some of you. He wants what? All of you. Y'all must have must been praying today. That there are some areas, areas in our lives that we are withholding submitting to God. There are some areas in your life that you are withholding submitting to Jesus' lordship in. That there are some areas in your life where you are still trying to be the God in. But let me tell somebody, let me free you up. You are not God. You can't do what God can do. You can't make ways that God can make. So guess what? You have to learn how to submit things to him. Sometimes we tell God that he can have um, control over this specific area of our lives, but that area of there, God, I still don't want you to touch. I still want to do what I want to do, God. I still, I, still, I still want to be able to do what I want to do. For example, 
We tell God, you can tell me how things are supposed to go in church, but Lord, you can't tell me how to run my house. We tell the Lord, Lord, you can tell me how to get blessed, but God, you can't tell me how to handle people when they cross me. Lord, you can bless me and you can use my gifts, but Lord, you can't run, you can't run my relationship. God, you can give me that promotion, but God, you can't tell me how to spend my money. Selective submission. We got selective submission. And it's not always sub- not submitting something to God, but it's also refusing to comply with what God has instructed us to do. A few Sundays ago, we talked about how there's a difference between sins of commission and sins of omission. When you're not doing the things that you know you're supposed to be doing, that you know what God has told you to do, you know what God has called you to do, you know what God is leading you to do, but yet you still have this resistance, this rebellion to what he's leading you. And when you have that resistance, this is a sign that you have missed a spot. That this is a sign that you have forgot a spot. That just as with the dishes, God is calling our attention to what we have overlooked in this season. Why? Because he wants to be Lord of what? All of us. Somebody say Lord of all. Amen. To capture the picture of what lordship looks like, I want you to think of a king. Somebody shout king. Every kingdom has a king. I'm going to say that again. We are kingdom movement. We are surrounded. We are kingdom citizens. And every kingdom has a what? King. Every kingdom has an individual recognized and responsible for making the rules and the decisions for how that nation is to operate and function. The king is the official and the ultimate leader of the nation's affairs. That whatever the king says, the nation follows with no questions. That whatever the king announces is declared to be true with no doubts. Whatever the king sets into place to be the law is, it, it is, it is to be expected and nothing to challenge it. Why? Simply because the king is the king. Simply because the king is the king. And since, watch this, no one can overthrow the king. Since no one has the same power to be equal to the king, it's best that the people submit to the king. I hope I'm making sense. That since you can overthrow the king and you can't have power like the king, it's best to what? Submit to the king. And this is a picture of what it means when we say that Jesus is the Lord of our lives. That we are saying that he is our king. That he is our king, that there's no one greater than Jesus, that there's nobody wiser than Jesus, that there's nobody more powerful or can do the things that Jesus can do. And since he is God, since he is king, we submit and we surrender to him. That, there, that we are not the kings in our, in our lives, that we are not the kings who are in control, sitting on the throne, making the shots. No, but Jesus is the one sitting on the throne. I hope I'm making sense. That we yield to Jesus. Let's, let's, let me teach a little bit. The word, for the, the word for Lord comes from the Greek word kiros. Kiros. It means having power, having authority, having control, and having the right to, uh, the right to exercise ruling power as a master. Right? So to confess... That Jesus is Lord is to declare him to be equal to God, 
to declare him to be worthy of power, to declare him to be worthy of praise, worthy of worship, worthy of obedience, worthy of trust. When you say Jesus is Lord, you are saying, Jesus, you're worthy. And I just got one question in the room today. Is there anybody that knows that Jesus is worthy? That he's worthy to be submitted to. Since, since simply because of who he is and what he has done, that makes him a great candidate for us to submit our lives to him. Simply because of what Jesus did for us makes him what worthy and makes him deserving of our submission. Let me make it sense. What has he done? He woke you up early this morning, closed you in your right mind, put clothes on your back, shoes on your feet. And because he did that, he's worthy for you to be submitted to. God healed your body when you got sick, when the doctors walked away. Because he did that, he's worthy to be submitted to. He made a way when there was no way, good God, from Zion. He was bread in a hungry land. He was water when you were thirsty. And because he was that, good God, from Zion, he is deserving. He's worthy to be our king. I just want to know if there's there anybody know that God is worthy. That when you look back over your life and you see all of the hills and the valleys and the mountains and the storms and the rains that God has already brought you through, you can't help but to say, God, you are worthy. That couldn't nobody do it for me when, I, when my mama couldn't do it, when my daddy couldn't do it, when my brother and my sister couldn't do it. God, you stepped in and you did it for me. And because you did it, you're worthy. You're worthy to be king of my life. You're worthy to be king of my life. You deserve to be king of my life. God, I don't deserve to be king. God, I don't deserve to be in control. When I look at all of the mistakes I made, God, I don't deserve to sit on the throne. But you were good. You were perfect each and every time. And because he was perfect, because he was always good, it makes him worthy. And I need to tell somebody today, Jesus is worthy to be the king of your life. You've been king long enough. I don't know who I'm talking to. You've been king long enough. But now is the time for you to get off your throne and allow God to have a seat in your heart. Now is the time for you to let go of control and to really submit to who God is. Because I hear God saying, I want to show you something greater. God says, I want to show you something real. God says, I want to show you something amazing, but I'm waiting for you to make space for me. Hallelujah. I'm waiting for you to get off that throne and let me have a seat. I don't know who I'm talking to. You found your way here because you've been fighting and trying to make things work. You tried to be the king of your life. You, look, you said, can't nobody tell me what to do because I'm grown. I make my own money. I got to fend for myself. When, nobody else, when, no, when I was down, nobody else was there for me. But I hear God saying, if you would just give me a chance, you would see that I was everything that they couldn't be for you. I don't know who I'm preaching to. But God says, I'm worthy to be king of your life. He, God says, I, I'm deserving to be king of your life. Hallelujah. So, let me get back to my notes. 
when the New Testament Christians, when New Testament Christians, they call Jesus Lord, this is not just an outward expression. It's not just something you say with your words, but it is an earnest inward uh, attitude of heart by which you recognize Christ and you recognize his word as the highest authority over all of your life. Good God from Zion. That when you say Jesus is Lord, you send Jesus and his word, the Holy Bible, is what the highest authority in all of your life. That everything else is subsequent to what God says. That everything else is subsequent to what God says I can have in his word. That everything else is subsequent to what God has revealed himself to be in his word. So when you say, Lord Jesus, you're the Lord of my life, you are submitting to who? Jesus Christ and his word. Somebody shout word. Am I making sense this morning? All right, let's move on. When it comes to lordship, submission is an act of faith. I'm going to say that again. I hope you're taking notes. I promise you this is going to be this, this is going to be the series where you want to take notes. When it comes to lordship, Submission is an act of faith. Hebrews 11 and 1. It says faith is what the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The Bible, it goes on in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. He says that without faith, it is impossible to what? Please God. Faith is an essential element in our journeys with God. That through faith, great people were able to accomplish great things. But we always talk about faith, and we said we always quote that verse, but Colin, can you give it to me in simple terms? I learned that faith, it doesn't take fancy words to describe and to define, but faith is simply trust in God. Faith is simply trust in God. If we are going to go anywhere in God, we have to trust him. I must say that again. If you are going to go anywhere in God, you have to trust him. And this place of trust means that you are willing to give up and transfer the control of something from ourselves to God. Right. Trusting God is saying, God, I'm giving this up and I'm transferring my control over this to you. Yeah. That instead of depending on what we can do, we begin to look to God and for God to do what he can do. That instead of depending on our own understandings and our own abilities, we begin to look for God to do something instead. So, watch this. The best way that trust and faith is displayed is through submission. Let me tell you again. The best way that trust, if you're going to have trust in God, if you're going to have faith in God, the best way you can show God is through submission. Why? Watch this. It takes more faith to let go of control than it does in trying to make things work in our own effort. I'm going to say that again. It takes more faith to let go of control than it does in trying to make things work in our own effort. Why? Because when you let go of control, you don't know what's going to happen. That when you let go of control, we step into this place of uncertainty. But I have learned that that is where God is able to do some real work. Hallelujah. That when you reach the end of what you can do and you take an extra step of faith, that's when God can show you what he can do for you. I've learned that God cannot work when we are in his way. God cannot work when we are in his way. Way God cannot work when we're trying to hold on to things. Good God from Zion. God cannot work. God cannot have control when we still have our hands on our situations. 
So the best thing we can do is to let go of whatever it is, good God from Zion, and let God have his way. That we ought to stop trying to control things, that we should stop trying to figure things out. Because while we're trying to figure it out, what? God had already worked it out. Stop trying to handle things in your own ways. No, take your hands off of it and submit it to God. Dave, you really want to see God move in an area of your life, let go of the pressures, watch this, and the weights you placed on yourself to make things shake. If you really want to see God move in your life, let go of that pressure that you put on yourself to make things shake, that you feel like you got to make something happen. That's not your job. That's not our responsibility to fix things. It's not your responsibility to make things work for you. It's not your responsibility to make things work out for your good. No, your responsibility is just to follow God. I hope I'm making sense. Then when it comes to your career, when it comes to your business, when it comes to your family, when it comes to your relationship, when it comes to your church, when it comes to your money, it's God's responsibility to make things happen. It's not your responsibility. I had, to, ah, I had to come to grips with this myself. I was like, Lord, I wish I could fix it. But God says, no, you're not God. And I just need you to let it go and recognize that it's my responsibility to make it happen. So when you make, the Lord, when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you recognize that Jesus is responsible to make things happen. I hope I'm making sense. So submission is an act of faith because it calls for more faith to let go of control, to let go of it, than trying to fix things for yourself. All right. Not only that, submission is also a weapon against sin. I'm going to say that again. Submission is also a weapon against sin. The presence of sin is a tell sign of areas that we have not submitted to God. Wherever there is sin... It is a sign of an area that you have not submitted to God. For example, if we, have for, if we haven't forgiven somebody, then we have not fully submitted our own will to God. That if you're not tithing, then you have not fully submitted your finances to God. That if you're having sex before marriage, then we have not fully submitted our relationships to God. That if we do not have time to sit with God and to hear him, then we have not submitted our schedules to God. That if we're worrying about this and worrying about that, then it's, it's, it says that you have not fully submitted your future to God. That if you're complaining about this, good God from Zion, about how this is not going to work, how this is not going to happen, or how this is going on, then it's a sign that you have not fully submitted your preferences to God. That wherever there is sin, there is a lack of submission. I'm going to say that again. Wherever there is sin, there is a lack of submission. That this is an area that you have not allowed God to be the Lord of in your life yet. That this is the spot that you really miss. That this is the spot that you forgot about. That whatever that sin is, wherever sin is in your life, that's the spot. That's the area you have forgot about. And if you're not careful, sin in our lives, sin in one area of your life, will begin to pollute other areas. I'm going to say that again. Sin in one area of your life, you may think, okay, Colin, this not big. Colin, I'm just, I just do that sometimes. Sin in one area of your life will begin to pollute others. Watch this. Sin has this way of slowly creating this spiritual numbness on the inside of us. It's like a boat. 
floating on a body of water. And it, I, I, can't, I can't, look, I don't do water, so I, I don't even know how to float on water. But for the people that know how to float on water, you know you just let yourself go and you begin to slowly move away, right? And if you think about on a boat, you just get in a boat. I've been in a boat before, so I can testify to that. If you sit in a boat, that boat is slowly going to start drifting away. And sin has this way will slowly cause your mind, cause your heart to drift away from God. That when you are floating, you are unaware that you're moving. You're unaware what's going on, but something is still happening. And sin is the same way. That when we sin, we are slowly and unawarely drifting away from God. And the next thing you know is that you have built up this tolerance and this taste for sin. That when you sin so frequently, you begin to build up a tolerance for sin. You're no longer able to, watch this, you're no longer able to hear God as clearly as you did. Why? Because you drifted away from him. Because your drifting has created this distance between him and his spirit. Think about it. Think about it. If you start on the shore and you, you can hear somebody clearly, but as you drift away, you won't be able to hear them clearly. You won't be able to see them clearly. And just and look, this may be somebody testimony that, God, I can hear you. I can see you as I used to. Maybe you have drifted away. Maybe seeing something, and it may not even be evident in your life. Maybe it's some area in your life that you have not submitted to God that's keeping you from seeing him clearly. I hope I'm making sense. So what happens is sin, when it's not addressed, when it's not repented from, it begins to grow. When I was only falling short in this one area of my life, my sin has made me so spiritually numb that I begin to let myself fall short in other areas. Well, I used, I used to fight against temptation. I used, to, I, used to, I used to pray every day. But now, because I gave into this one temptation, it's like it's built up this tolerance where I, I, I don't even fight no more. I just give into it. And so unless sin is stopped, sin will continue to grow. Because why? Our fleshes will never be satisfied. When you sin, your flesh get a taste of it, and it's never satisfied. So the best way to counter sin is through submission. Instead of doing something that dishonors God, we do things that bring him glory and draws us to him, to, uh, draws us closer to him. Let me make it practical. Every time that you feel tempted to do something, every time you feel tempted to sin, I'm, make, I'm trying to make it practical. Hear, hear me out. Every time you feel tempted to sin, I need you to stop, recognize that, hey, this is, I'm being tempted. And then I need you to do something that draws you closer to God or do something that brings God glory. Because the reason why there may be a hindrance to our spiritual flow and your spiritual functioning is because there is some unaddressed and some unrepented sin in your life. The reason why you can't flow in your gifts and things are not, sometimes things are not happening for you is because you have not addressed and you have not repented from some, some, some kind of sin. So the reason why things are not coming together is because maybe there's some unaddressed and some unrepentant sin. So submission is a weapon against sin. Am I helping y'all? Y'all following me? I'm trying to teach a little bit. I, 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 look, I, I know we, we can do all this hooping and hollering, but this is the gospel. So submission, last point, shows God where he can trust you. I'm going to say that again. Submission shows God where he can trust you. 
Look to your neighbor and say, neighbor. Oh, somebody looking down at their phone. Say, neighbor. Say, submission shows God where he can trust you. Amen. Praise God. Because watch this. Every blessing in your life, it is a test or an opportunity for more submission. I'm going to say that again. Let that resonate. Every blessing in your life, it is a test or an opportunity for submission. That every time God answers a prayer, a prayer, every time God answers a prayer or something comes your way in a form of an opportunity, you can go further in submission. You can say, God, whatever God, what happens is God blesses you with something and then you turn around and submit it back to him. Because here's the thing I have learned. God will withhold things from you because he knows two things. Number one, what he blesses you will withhold you, will, you will withhold it from him. Or two, it will withhold you from him. So if God sees that, some, that this blessing, you're not going to, you're not going to, you're going to withhold him from it, he's not going to bless you with it. If he sees that you are not going to allow him to be the Lord of whatever that blessing is, he's not going to bless you with it. If he sees that that blessing is going to cause you to pull yourself away from him, is he's not going to bless you with it. If he sees that that blessing is going to cause you to drift away from him, he's not going to bless you with it. Because God is not going to bless you with things that he knows that will, you will withhold from him, and two, it will withhold you from him. But when we make the commitment, watch this, when we make the commitment to submit whatever it is to God, Back to God, that's when our release is going to come. Some of us, we're praying that God releases. God, do this. God, do that. God, make a way. God, but God bless me with this. God, bless me with this, with that. If you really want to see that release, then you got to learn how to commit to submit whatever it is back to God. I got, a, I got a testimony. Come here, Hannah. In, um, 1 Samuel chapter um, 1, Hannah was bearing for so many years. She was talked about. She was bullied because of her infertility. And one day, she cried and she sobbed her heart out before God. She said, God, God, I, I, I'm tired. I'm sick and tired. And God heard her. And she made an agreement with God that if God will bless her with a son, she would dedicate and submit that son back to him. And when she made this agreement, hear me out, when she made this agreement for submission, that's when God blessed her to conceive. And her son went on to become one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament and, and the pioneer, pioneered a great movement, his Samuel, amen, praise God. And let me tell you this, when you make the decision to submit whatever you're asking from God in prayer back to him, that's when your release is going to come. Then when you start praying, when you start praying, not just for whatever it is, but how God is going to be able to use that for his glory, that's when your release is going to come. Let me say that again. When you start praying, not just God save this person, God save this person, God bless me with this, God bless me with that, God heal my body. No, when you start praying for how God is going to use what he blesses you with, that's when your submission comes. That's when your release comes. When you say, God, save this person so that they can go out and save somebody else, so that they can go out and change the generation. God, heal my body so that I can go and be a blessing to somebody else. God, bless me with finances so that I can be a blessing to somebody else. When you start praying, not just for a blessing, but how you can be a blessing or how that blessing can be a blessing, that's when your release is going to come. Because now 
your heart is in the right place to honor God with whatever he blesses you will. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask with the wrong motives but for your own selfish glory. So before God will trust you with your answered prayer, he first wants to see if you are going to trust him with the results that it brings. Before God trusts you with an answered prayer, before God answers your prayer, he wants to see, can, you, can I trust you, hallelujah, with what the results that this blessing is going to bring in your life? Am I making sense to y'all this morning? So truth be told, can I be honest? A lot of us have mishandled the blessings of God in the past. That there have been times when God has given us the opportunity to taste what we desired. God has given us an opportunity to taste um, his blessings only for us to mishandle it by not submitting it back to him. Only by allowing sin to creep in. We didn't dedicate and follow God's model for whatever it is. God bless you with a relationship, but then you didn't follow his model. Then that person had to go away. God bless you with all of this money, but then you didn't honor him with it. Therefore, he had to strip it away. God bless you with all of this strength and this energy, all of this knowledge, but you didn't use it. And for his model, therefore, he had to what? Strip it away. To be told, that's happened to a lot of us. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts, they, this is what happened. God blessed them with a whole bunch of money. This is, this is in the Bible. I promise you it is. Acts. But God blessed them with a whole bunch of money. And they went, and they went, they, got, they said, God, they said, God, we're going to give you this. And they lied to the Holy Ghost, saying that they submitted all of the money that they got uh, to the church. Whole time, they didn't submit all of it. They only gave peace of it. But they still told the man of God, hey, this is everything we got. And because they only submitted part of it to God, hallelujah, you know what happened? God struck them dead right in front of the church. Why? Because they did not fully submit. They didn't fully commit to what God had blessed them with. So what God is saying is, whatever I bless you with, I don't, I don't want just part of it. I want all of it. I want you to submit all of it back to me. I want you to submit all of your career back to me. I want you to submit all of your journey back to me. I want you to submit all of your relationship back to me so that I can really work in it. So before God answers your prayers and gives you what you really desire, he wants to know if he can trust you with it. Before God blesses you with a job to make more money, he first wants to see can he trust you in paying your tithes. Before God blesses you with the man that you want or the wife that you want, he has to first see can I trust you to follow my, my design for, for what marriage is. Before God blesses you to heal your body, he wants to see can he trust you to use your strength and your will for his glory. And if it's not there, there's some more inner spiritual work that needs to be done. And if, 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 that's, if God can't trust you yet, I promise you it's okay because God is patient concerning you. And, let, and all you have to do is learn to let God do his work in your life. I'm getting ready to go. I hope I bless somebody. I hope I help somebody. So, entire, we can't forget the spot. I need to remind somebody, don't forget about any spots in your life. Why? Because when Jesus comes back, He's coming for a church without a what? Spot or blemish. The reason why I need you to not forget the spot is because when Jesus comes back, he's coming back for a church without a what? Spot or blemish. He's looking for a, a fully surrendered church. Jesus is coming back for the fully surrendered saints. 
And when Jesus comes back, how will he find you? Just a look, just a rhetorical question. When Jesus comes back, how would he find you? If Jesus came back in this moment, how would he find you? Are you fully surrendered to God? If Jesus comes back, will he find that you haven't submitted this area of, my, of your life to him? If Jesus was to come back in this moment, how will he find you? And when you're washing dishes, sometimes, some spots, they call for a little more work in going away. Sometimes you got to let things sink and sit in the water. Amen. Praise God. Let it soak. But then sometimes things will come out, but you got to learn how to just put some elbow grease in it. You got to learn how to put a little more effort in handling it. And I need to say that this is the same way in your spiritual journey. Being fully surrendered to God, being fully submitted to God is going to require a little more effort from you. But hear me out. God deserves that. God deserves a little more effort from you. God deserves a little more effort, a little more energy, a little more attention from you. Why? Because he's just that good. He's just that good. He's blessed you. He's blessed you to see this day. The Bible says that if it wasn't for the Lord, we, we wouldn't even be here today. Hallelujah. That in Jesus Christ, we live, we move, and we have our being. How do I know? Why do I know God is worthy to be submitted? Why do I know that God is worthy for a little more effort? Because he went one day. He saw you in your sin. He looked down through time and he saw you in your sin. He saw you struggling. He saw you trying to be the king of your life. And he says, look, I'm going to get off my throne. I'm going to step down through 42 generations and I'm going to go and I'm going to hang on that cross and I'm going to die for them. I'm going to die for them. I'm going to die for their sins. I'm going to die for their wrongdoings. God, God, you don't punish them. God, don't punish them. Don't put, the, don't put your wrath on them. God, no, put your wrath on me. And one Friday evening, Jesus, he hung on that cross from the sixth to the ninth hour. And at that ninth hour, he died for our sins. I don't know who this is for. This is for all of us. This is the gospel for everyone. He died for your sins. He died, he died so that you can have access to the real king in your life. And they took him off that cross, placed him in the barber tomb, but early on the third day morning, he got off of all power in the palm of his hand. And I need to tell somebody, Jesus is alive and well. Jesus is in the room today. He is worthy. Since he died for your sins, he's worthy to be submitted to you.